Welcome to episode 198 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Tuesday, February 24th. I am Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, good afternoon. Hello. How are you doing? I see numbers. What's that? I've been, I see numbers. I've been, I've been trying to um, work on this, this thing with my, my bro, Matt Denowitz, who started Beergrass with me. We're working on uh, a way to look at pitches just by their movement and velocity and try to um predict uh swinging strike rate based on just movement and velocity oh, wow so you are you are neck deep in a in a big project then huh it's so it's it's annoying it's hard because it's really big data sets and you know if you get something wrong you have to run the whole thing again because we're actually you know the big thing that we just figured out today was to look at each pitch instead of what we were doing is looking at the average of each pitch. So, like, we basically were looking at, like, A.J. Burnett's curve. This is what it's like. And, you know, we'd had some okay results, but, you know, then we were talking to some people, and then we realized we should do A.J. Burnett's first curve on this one day, A.J. Burnett's second curve on this one day. So, basically teasing it out so it's every single pitch is in the day. Oh, so. wow. And uh, so we're pushing a million lines on a couple of these things. And... Um, We'll see how it goes. That is no I mean, joke, man. <laughs> we had some really good results at first, and then we like switched something, and then it went from really good to nothing, and we were just like, "What?" Oh wow! <laughs> so I mean, we're we're sitting right there trying to figure it out, and it's kind of a little bit banging the head against the wall. Well, keep but... us posted. I mean, at least this is a, a a reprieve from from all the numbers, from the million lines of numbers, to talk more numbers yeah. and more baseball. Human being. A human being, I'm talking. I'm using my yes, mouth. Yes, we are interacting. Uh, we're going to be talking yeah. about baseball. We do have a little bit of news. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of noise. And, and you know, kind of as I was going through putting the rundown together, I'm like, well, do I include this? Does it really matter? No, probably not. You know, so I, I, I pick and choose. There's, we could go over, a, you know, 20 little news items, but they're not going to change the way we feel about guys. So there's not too much reason to get into them. So uh, the few pieces that we do have – um, even this first one's kind of tangentially related to somebody else. Joba Chamberlain resigns with Detroit, and I'm less concerned about him or, or interested in kind of what you think about him and, and more concerned about, well, do you think somebody's going to take Nathan's role? Joe Nathan has that role right now as closer, and if so, do you think it will be Chamberlain or Soria or Wildcard X? How do you feel about Detroit's closer situation? Yeah, I mean, Nathan was really losing velocity and had – his one of his worst years by a lot of different metrics and somehow, you know, managed to hold on to it all year. I don't know how he did. Um, you know, it's a testament to the proven closer role, I well, guess. Lack, I mean, lack of other options was a big piece of it as well in Detroit. Yeah. But didn't they also uh, get Surya late but, in the year? But yeah. And, but he, first off he was dealing, he was nicked up and then he wasn't terribly effective with them. So it, it wasn't the slam dunk to go to him. Even, even though I, I was still advocating it as a Tigers fan, it wasn't the automatic slam dunk because he's got bumps and bruises and he wasn't pitching all that well. So it was like, wow, even if you, you did really feel that he should have gotten the job, 
it's not like he was out there blowing guys away, you know, uh, under five strikeouts in his uh, uh, per nine in his 11 innings. He had six and 11, 491 ERA. So he wasn't throwing his best at that point. So it was hard to even justify saying he must go in, although, you know, there there are dead people who deserved a chance over Joe Nathan last year. <laughs> well, and, you know, the other thing is that um, uh, the, the, the two things you mentioned, one, the strikeout rate. The other thing that we that I've ever found at all predictive of closer change is fastball velocity. And uh, you, you can't say that Joaquin Soria's 90.6 was uh, anything better than the Nathan's. Uh, what was he putting up last year? At ninety one point six, so Yikes. both of them were below average yeah. for for Lever, but um, at least uh, Nathan was a little bit closer to average. And so, even your your bigger question was, I thought it was Jabba anyway. Oh yeah, but, yeah, um, it, it might be. I I don't have that one. I, I don't I don't go crazy on that one because I don't know one hundred percent. I'm I'm also <laughs> back and forth on. Yeah, I think you're right. It is Jabba. So Jabba Chamberlain, and I go back and forth on Sabathia Sabathia. Which one do you believe to be correct? Well, I know it's not. Uh, what did I say? Oh my God! Dave Cameron had had near had a fit. Did you? I said. Did you have uh, some hilarious pronunciation? I think I said like Sabatia. <laughs> That's awesome. I said the wrong emphasis and the wrong syllable. So uh, anyway, um, uh, Jabba, Joe, Joba, whatever. He uh, he has the velocity, so that that's a nice thing. The weirdest thing I didn't realize. He doesn't throw his fastball much. For a guy who throws almost 94, he, he basically throws a slider just as much as, as his mm-hmm. fastball. And if you start adding in um, you know, his curveball, then he, he throws his off-speed stuff more than his fastball, which I think is a little bit weird for a closer. I doubt there's many closers like that. I mean, there's Sergio Romo, but, I mean, Java's not Sergio Romo. Um, so... You know, I, I don't know if that matters. I didn't I haven't run that, you know, pitch type stuff, but um I did run actually pitch uh, arsenals to see if fastball slider uh, closers were less were less um prevalent based on possible platoon problems and that didn't work because there's tons of fastball slider closers. So um in any case, I do think that he has a He's chance because Surya doesn't have the velocity and, 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 and Jabba does have the velocity. And if he puts up another year like he did last year, then he has to at least belong in the conversation. Jabba has the skills. The problem was it seemed like every time he got a look and, and you know, these were small samples, like a one-off night um, when Nathan had gone three times, probably blowing all three of them. So I needed to go for somebody else. <laughs> they bring in Jabba and, 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 he, and he did poorly. It seemed like every time he got a shot at, at a big save – and maybe that would that was going to be like the turning point one. That's when he would implode, and it was a bummer because everything else was kind of in place. An amazing ground ball rate, like you said, the velocity is there, decent enough strikeout rate. It's it's really not elite by any stretch, but when you're balancing it with a 53% ground ball rate, it's not too bad. Uh, I don't think there's any chance Nathan holds the job all year. I mean, I guess there's a shred of a chance, but I, I'm not betting on it. And uh, I think Chamberlain has got to be the front runner now that they brought him back. I really I really like. Soria, but I, I just I don't know that he can stay healthy. In other news, Chris Bryant is slated to play outfield in spring training, which is kind of an interesting development. The the report that I read said that he's still in play and, and, and competing for the opening day third base job, but 
just that they want to kind of get him in at, at outfield, which is interesting. A lot of folks think that that's going to be his final resting spot anyway. Um, once he kind of establishes himself in the majors, maybe like a Ryan Braun type. Remember when he played third? That was funny. Um, but how do you, how does this does this do anything for you? Do you think maybe he could squeeze his way into the outfield? Does this help him make the team anymore? Or is it still kind of status quo? I think it's a big deal because to me, when you hear things in the minor leagues like, oh, you know, he's going to move off short or whatever, most of the time they come true yeah. as far as as far as, you know, as I've seen. And in, and in general, players basically go down the, the continuum where they start at shortstop. Almost everybody in baseball has played shortstop. Um, you know, almost all the guys you're looking at right now oh, yeah. have played shortstop at some point. And, you know, as their bat kept them in the game and they got bigger or, you know, you know, whatever filled out or this or that, they moved away from shortstop. And it's only the very cream of the crop, the very most athletic that stay at shortstop. So once you start hearing, oh, I don't know if he can stay at third. And then I saw him in the AFL with you and I thought, yeah, you know, I think he's a little tall and not that great on, on grounders. And then. You know, he he. Now they're talking about this, and he might. That it all adds up to me that he's going to the outfield, and they have the kind of talent where he fits. I think he fits just as well in the outfield. I mean, they, Arizmendi Alcantara. Yes, he can play center, but so can Dexter Fowler, and and Alcantara or Alcantara or whatever. He came up as a second baseman, so they've got that. They've got Tommy Listella. They've got Javier Baez who can play second, short, or third, and then they got Addison Russell coming up. And we haven't even mentioned Mike Olt. So, you know, they've got a lot of ways that they can figure out the infield. And, you know, one of the spots in the outfield right now is being manned by Chris Coffin. Exactly. And that's exactly what I was going to point out. Roster Resource has him slotted into the left field spot right now, at least as a strong side of a platoon with Chris DeNorfia. And so... You know, I love the phrase that that you that I first heard you say when we did our podcast together. There's daylight there. There's a lot for Chris Bryant to swoop in and take that job, at, either in left field or third base. But obviously, if he's going to be playing left field, they're going to be getting looks at him out there. It looks like they might already be making that transition, and then they're going to work on, uh, you know, everybody else at, at at third base. Kind of those guys that you mentioned. Uh, Alcantara could go to second, and then Baez could go over to third, or maybe even Alcantara could play third. Who knows? I know he's kind of played all around the infield and outfield and uh, in, in a lot of people have said that Alcantara could become the Ben Zobrist for Joe Madden so this this I think what enhances Bryant's chances to make the team out of camp so maybe not I think it also enhances Tommy Lestella's chances of being relevant this yeah, year because he was the guy on third that everyone thought would get knocked off immediately yeah I mean now there's a chance at third and a chance at second if, if Alcantara moves or whatever you know so I think that this moves him up a little bit as a, and, and it makes it also it makes more sense now that they traded for him. You know, it's like okay, well maybe they were already thinking about this back then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up is Lucas Duda, your boy, dealing with a bit of a mild oblique issue. You know, you, you never like to see these because they they can be problematic. Does this bother you at all, or is this just something that a little bit of a new a news item, but nothing to freak out over? I mean, they've been part of why David Wright is has been hard to own recently. You know, he keeps straining that oblique. Yeah, and when they, know, when the guys have these oblique issues, they 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 tend to linger. Yeah, I, I I think it's early enough in the spring where he could take two weeks off. You know, from what I've heard uh, from hitters, they feel like they can they they can they need about two weeks. Okay. So 
I think spring training is more about stretching pitchers out and getting pitchers. You know, a lot of them are trying new pitches and 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 working on their mechanics, and and it's actually a really great time for them to work on a new pitch because they're they're playing major league hitters that are not on their t- on not, not on their squad, but the results don't matter. So. I think that's uh, that's why we don't find a lot of correlation between spring training stats and regular season stats because a lot of the pitchers are working on mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, from what I've heard, you know, think about a guy coming back off a DL stint, right? He's been cold for a bit, and how long do they they leave him in the minor leagues before they come up? Some guys, you know, it's barely days. Yeah, you know, it's, it's you know, two or three games. So I, I think uh, Duda, this is early enough in there that you can you can get it out of there and and be ready for the, the season okay to start. good so we're, we're not going to worry too much about him and those are really the big three news items that that uh, gave any relevance fantasy wise to me so uh we'll keep oh 2013 46 days intercostal strain for Duda? Duda. so this is something that's that's been there oh boy now that, that that could be so we've got to monitor that obviously like you said it coming yeah. at this time of the the season it, okay better than it's absolutely better <laughs> than than it being march 24th you know february 24th we can work with that so don't automatically drop them down your boards but just keep an eye on duda especially if you're in an obp league and he's somebody that you're thinking of bumping up and and, and really investing in you know i wanted to talk about something that you put out that i'm sure made everyone happy because they were clamoring for it your pitcher rankings um you know you mentioned some guys you, you did a piece where you did a handful of guys that you're interested in and that led to people saying well what about this guy that guy and, that? and then you said you know what i'll just give them all to y'all so you, you came through mm-hmm. with a big 175 pitcher ranking here and i just want to highlight a handful of them right now and obviously i'll link to the article if folks haven't read it already but uh three guys that you're much higher on than the RG consensus. And uh, we're going to start with a, a big name, Matt Harvey. And you had him all the way up at 12. And the consensus ranking for, for Rotographs had him at 26. He's going, uh, I think, 60, the NFBC rank that you have, I imagine that's the, the starting pitcher that he is. He's 16th off the board. And his NFBC ADP is 69th overall. So we know, you know what's great about Harvey. And we know what the problem is with Harvey. But obviously, it's a matter of, the level of concern that folks have. So based on where you're at, I assume that you have a lower level of concern. Do you care to expound on that? And I guess you're taking Harvey pretty early these days. Yeah. I mean, I, I play a lot of dynasty leagues and keeper leagues where he's not available. So So you won't get a chance. I don't have a ton of shares of Matt Harvey right now. Right now I still have the same amount of shares as I did earlier, which is one. But anyway, um, I think the thing about, Harvey that's interesting is I think he's being penalized too much for his Tommy John surgery. So I, you know, I think he's a top, let's say, let's say he didn't have Tommy John surgery and he's coming into the season. I think he'd be a top three pitcher. Yes, I mean, fair. I think that's, I think that's what we've seen. So, all right. So you're starting with top three. All right. So now there's an innings pitch risk. Well, his team has said, you know, we think he can do 200 if we make it to the postseason. So maybe that's not, you know, he's going to throw 200 this year, but it's also not, he's going to throw 150. So there, there's a little bit less uh, injury uh, innings pitched risk than you might have with a guy who'd had a different return scenario. And and I, and I mentioned the return scenario because he's coming up on 18 months uh, since he had Tommy John surgery. And I did some research that found that the longer you take, the better your outcomes are. So now we've mitigated not only his innings pitched, 
but also his outcomes when it comes to, you know, we know there's a command situation sometimes when you come back from Tommy Don surgery. So both of the risks that he has that come from coming back from Tommy John are somewhat mitigated or a little bit less bad than, than they would be otherwise. So, and let's say you did try to throw a number on that risk. I think that number on a normal pitcher might be 15% or 20%. The failure, the failure of Tommy John surgery is about 10%. And then you want to add maybe five, 10% of, of not, you know, failure of the, the actual surgery, but failure of, you know, sort of, slow comeback yeah, just you know not not, not, so, not quite so, good right away so maybe you gotta maybe you want to put 15 to 20 percent discount on a, on a regular pitcher coming back i would say that his discount is around 10 percent. so you know take uh you know 200 innings take 20 take 10 percent off so maybe 180 175 innings um you know take whatever command you were going to give him and, and give him 10 percent worse I still think that's a top 15 pitcher. I mean, I was a little surprised, you know, but when I was comparing him to Johnny Cueto, I'm like, Johnny Cueto, you sure he's going to be healthy all year? You sure you're going to get 180 innings out of Johnny yeah. Cueto? No, that, that's and, that's fair. And, I, and then I started comparing him to like Jordan Zimmer and John Lester. I'm like, he's going to have way more strike. I think he'll have more strikeouts by raw strikeouts. Even, even with a lower innings total. Yeah, so... You know, there was so many reasons. And then Alex Cobb was was later on my list. And I was just like, I'm not taking, uh, you know, Alex Cobb over Matt Harvey. Alex Cobb hasn't had 160 innings. So, you know, it became more obvious, like, when I started slating them. And I just wouldn't, that I would take him over these other guys. But, you know, it was because of my projection, because of what I knew about Tommy John surgeries and the length of time he's had and all that. Yeah, I'm actually, um, I'm, I'm moving up on Harvey a little bit. I had him at 26, which matches the the Rotographs rank. Zach Sanders and I both had him at exactly 26. Dan Schwartz was the high of our rankers at 16, and Mike Podhorzer was the low at 51. I'm starting to inch him up over some guys here, and I think I think there's a chance he could crack my top 20 here, and you're selling me even a bit further. So, you know, the the, the one thing that I worry about is just that. You know, we saw it with Wainwright when he returned, and they're not a perfect comp for each other, but it wasn't that Wainwright pitched poorly. You know, he had a 394 ERA, but if you dig in, uh, it was really just some blow-up starts. And I wonder how much I would love to talk to somebody returning from Tommy John or, or who's already done the return, be it Wainwright himself or somebody else, and say, you know, was that just – Every once in a while, every every seventh start that you just didn't have it, was it something like that? Because you, you go through and he, he never had games like that. Wainwright never had blow-up starts, and I usually consider that about five-plus uh, earned runs in, in an outing. And he had about six or seven of them that season, and they really elevated his ERA. He was usually having maybe two or three a year, and he kind of doubled his total. So I just worry about that. If Harvey's going to have a couple of those, they can inflate the ERA. But I'm with you on the strikeout piece. And the guys that you mentioned, th th those are risks still. I love Johnny Cueto, and he does have two big you know, over 200 inning seasons out of his last three. But the other one's 61 innings. And Alex Cobb's a good one. I love Alex Cobb, but – Staring you right in the face is the fact that he does not have a full season under his belt. So I, I, I hear you on that. Um, definitely. Maybe I was aggressive, you know, just looking at it now and talking to you, you know, maybe we argue ourselves, you know, towards each other a little bit. John Lester over Matt Harvey, you know, there's no real reason to worry about John Lester. It's his first time in the National League. He might have a little bump in, in strikeouts. You know, I think you could argue, argue pretty well for Lester over Harvey, but that still only pushes Harvey down to, 
you know, sort of 13, 14 territory. Exactly. And like I said, I'm looking at some of these guys in the early 20s that I had him ranked uh, behind, and I'm thinking, mm, you know what, maybe not, because th- th- there is there is a real chance, and it might not be a huge chance, but there's a real chance that he just comes back and he's ready to go, like like fully. And then we're back on track with the with the stud beast that was dominating the league, and you know, pushing Kershaw for that top spot. Well, that's how that's how well he was throwing that year before and you, before and, it went to pot. Yeah, you, and you got him for you know a, a second pitcher price, and and for all the excitement over guys that I liked just as much that I pushed up Stroman in the early 20s, Stroman, Carrasco, Tehran, Cole, Degrom, you know those guys are all good, but Harvey in terms of stuff and in terms of what he's already done has done more yeah, he's bested all of those guys. No, you, you make, you make great points. And like I said, you've, you've prompted me to make a change there. Um, another guy, Matt Latos uh, in the news for, for talking a bit. I, I've never understood why everyone b- blindly hates this guy. I mean, I, the thing that he said about the, the clubhouse. Okay. I get that. That's the first thing that I've heard that kind of gives folks a reason to kind of get mad at him, but he, he has a, bad reputation among people. I mean, when, when that news came out yesterday that he was talking about the Cincinnati clubhouse, people on Twitter were losing their minds going crazy about him. And I just, I don't know. I don't get it, but we don't care about who he is as a person. We care about his performance and you've got him as your 39th pitcher. The Rotographs crew has him 60th. So it's a 21 spot difference. Talk to me about Matt Latos. This is a guy I like as well. I got him up at 37. So I'm right there with you. I guess I'm just going to give him more benefit of the doubt on this injury than other people. You know, it's yeah. Steamer's not going to give him the benefit at all. Steamer says, and and it doesn't. So Steamer sees the, the gradual velocity loss from 94 to 90 and, you know, and, and sees the, the loss of strikeout stuff last year and doesn't really care that his knee hurt him. So, and I and I th- I think that's great. That makes sense. And it was it was also funny for me because I used to be on the other side of this with Latos, where, you know, as he was going along, I, you know, knew a lot of people in San Diego. I'd seen a lot in San Diego, and I think this is why people don't really like him so much. He's he's kind of just a throw it as hard as you can, not real thinking man's pitcher type kind of a guy. meathead. Okay. Yeah, I can bit. I can see that, and and he has a punchable face. I I I, I get that. I mean, you look at it and you're like. <laughs> I would punch that guy, but he's six six two fifty, so he's probably going to punch you back. That's another reason that I don't know if I want to go around talking too much trash about him because he kicked the crap out of me. So you know, I'm I, Matt yeah. Latos. What if? There's so many things though that just took. I mean, yes, there was a general decline arc that you can see uh, in certain in certain yeah. ways, and, and definitely velocity was there. But there's also so many ways that last year was just a a, a huge veer. I mean. Yeah, he was had a few, you know, a little bit less strikeouts, you know, over the time. But last year he went from, you know, eight per nine to lower than seven per nine. And, you know, yeah, you know, there was some up and down in his ground ball numbers, but he went from basically league average to 38%. And they were all in line drives. So I think, I think it's like, I think it's really the knee. A lot of it's the knee. And I'm willing to give him more of a benefit of the doubt. I think this is, you know, the second or best, you know, one of the best parks, you know, it's a, it's a good park situation for him. Yeah. A park improvement for yeah. sure. I'm right there with you. I'm willing to kind of give it a pass. And if he comes out again and he, and he's throwing, you know, 17% strikeout rate again. Okay. Then, then you and I have to readjust. But right now I think he has earned enough of a track record 
with being an above average ground ball guy and above average strikeout rate guy and really maintaining the walk rate nicely um, and having swing and miss stuff that says, hey, this guy could be really good. So I like him out in well, Miami. Last two, last two points. Uh, what's interesting to me is that I came out uh, right in line with NFBC. <laughs> Um, so somehow, uh, the NFBC crowd is agreeing with me for some reason. And th- and we paired right with Sonny Gray, who the NFBC crowd loves him a lot more than me, but, um, with Gray, there was no injury and there were some sloughing off of his stats and, you know, his velocity's going down he doesn't really ha- quite have a wide arsenal, but behind Latos, it was a little bit more about who's behind Latos. And I just didn't see the strikeout rate upside. I saw as much, you know, Andrew Kashner, I didn't see as much, um, Strikeout rate upside, unless he just changes his arsenal completely again, which he's done sometimes. Tyson Ross, injury risk. Drew Hutchinson, good, but you know doesn't really have the track record. Yeah, we love him, uh, but not ready. So to I, pop. I just saw some questions around there, and I thought he belonged in there, and I think he just belongs in that crew. You know, I think he, you know, who would be the hardest for me to choose between? I think Latos and Ross would be a very difficult discussion for me. Sonny Gray, I think there's almost maybe a tier there because Sonny Gray, as much as I don't love him so much, is is a step above. And Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn, Garrett Richards, those guys I would take above Matt Latos, no problem. We are in lockstep. I have uh, Ross Gray and Latos extremely close, like in a, in a row I have those three. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I hear you on, the, on those decisions. And I've been preaching this a lot, and, and it's written a lot in the starting pitching guide. There's a cluster there in like the mid 30s, pretty much all the way down to the upper 70s, where the talent just isn't that disparate. I mean, there there are some groupings, but but especially when you start talking about like 35 through 50, that group is just not that much different. You can make it, cases for it, everybody. Oh, and, and I yeah, exactly. And someone said to me, you know, oh, I've heard you say you want two number twos, or that you want a late you know, number one, or, you know, these things don't seem that consistent. I should explain a little better. It, these things do depend on the size of your league. So the, there is a little bit different size of the first tier, depending on the size of Absolutely. your league. Um, you know, in a 10-team league, it's probably only, you know, 10 to 15. But always, I think, the tier is larger than the size of your league. So if you're in a 10-team in a league, I think the first tier of pitchers is probably 15 to 20 deep mm-hmm. still. It, probably maybe 15, I'd feel kind of more comfortable. But if you're in a in a 15 team league, then you know I consider aces down to you know Degrom Samarja level. So they're they're not aces with a capital A, but they're number one. They're pitchers. fantasy and aces. So, yeah, exactly. And I would take them, uh, and I would take them as a you could or you can call them number twos, but I'd say they're very high end number twos, and I think that they are on the level of the first guys. So you know I don't I think in any given year. Johnny Cueto can win the Cy Young. John Lester can win the Cy Young. Alex Cobb, if he put 200 innings in, could win the Cy Young. Jordan Zimmerman could win the Cy Young. Alex Wood, if he got some win support, you know, run support, could win the Cy Young. James Shields, Ryu could even win the Cy Young. Tehran, Carrasco, you know, these guys are in the 20s now. Stroman, Cole, DeGrom, those guys could win the Cy Young. So now we've gone 25 deep, and... I I think we're talking about what you, you you've talked about before you know a wind gust of wind we're talking about you know duck snorts yep. and bad couple things here and, and there and that's why it comes down to know. personal preference you know who do you who do you like yeah, there so, I, so what I like and also though but I like getting two of that first group in the lower in the lower parts so I, you know I would feel great if I left a a, a a 15 team auction 
or a 15 team roto with Lester and Cobb as my number two, my number one and number oh, two, yeah. or Lester and Wood. Ah, yeah, dude. I probably have some great bats, and I and I you know I feel really great. One of those guys is going to be an ace for me. Or if they're not an ace ace, then I'm going in with like a Boston rotation where they're all you know pretty good pitchers. No, I I, I, so. I definitely agree, and it's just fascinating. Uh, the the pitching this year is just really fascinating. It's going to be different in about every draft. I, I'm really eager to kind of see how it plays out. And usually I like to get kind of similar guys. You know, maybe have a handful of guys I like to get across every draft. But with the way the pitching is going to go this year. I'm just going to take what comes to me. You know, I, I'm not going to necessarily target those mid-tier guys that I like because there's so many of them that I like. Yeah, the Bud Norris plan for me from last year in AL Labor. I didn't, want, I didn't plan on Bud Norris. But, but, but he came uh, but to also, you. You, know, then, uh, you know, people are talking about like where, you know, you might take a break and then where you come back in. I, I, I really love it up to about Jeff Samarja. And then I get guys where I'm a little bit nervous. Wayne Wright, Arietta. Phil Hughes could see some sort of backlash. Um, you know, you can't you can't always walk a half a guy for nine <laughs> innings. Yeah, you're um, not always going to have historical strikeout to walk ratio. I think there's gonna be, <laughs> and I love Phil Hughes, but I I, I hear you. There's probably going to be some backslide there, at least with the walk rate, uh, and thus probably the WHIP too. Although he could maybe get some favorability on the on the BABIP, a 3.24 BABIP for a guy with a fly ball tendency like his is is interesting you don't usually see that although he's been allowing some line drives so he's not he's not a flat fly ball guy last year it was down to 40 percent you know he's and you know he's always around the zone and, and babbitt goes down on pitches outside exactly. of the zone so, so, he, so there's some relationship he puts there, it in but, there and they don't have a great defense behind him either so when he does get it on the ground they're not necessarily going to turn it for him uh, so yeah that right. that makes sense but um you know, like I said, it just comes down to personal preference with a lot of these these groupings, and it's going to be very interesting. Um, and oh, but one, we have one just, more guy. I Go just, ahead. Just, just. Uh, well, I was surprised you didn't ask me about Hisashi Ukuma, but we talked about him before. Well, I had a list and... of about, honestly, about seven, and I was like, well, the podcast is going to be eight hours if I put every guy on here that I want to talk about. <laughs> but yeah, you can well, mention anyway, him because yeah, you doubled up his ranking. In this group, well, I, I have him lower, and it's just because I remember that he was almost out of baseball in Japan. He, he had a bad shoulder, and he almost didn't make it back. He was throwing 82 um, in Japanese baseball, and it was part of why his deal with the, uh, the A's got scuttled. So I just want to list that as a, as a group that where, you know, I'm not necessarily out. If those guys drop to me, that's fine, but I'm probably going to be going back to getting hitters and closers and then what I'll do is jump back in around Drew Hutchinson, yep. um, Drew Hutchinson and Chris Archer and Shoemaker. Those guys are in the 40s. So now I've taken I've taken a few rounds off because 15 pitchers have gone off the board since my 25. But you know I'm not just looking at Hutchinson. One of those guys that I like will have dropped. You know, so maybe I'm looking at Cliff Lee and Drew Hutchinson. Like if I leave a if I leave a 15 team thing with Lester Wood. Lee and Hutchinson, I would feel like I was going to have a dominating Oh, God, staff, I would do backflips with that. You know, and I probably didn't take part in any of the ace stuff, and then I probably took a took a veer in the middle and, and got a closer and, you know, a, a high-end MI or something, and, you know, came back to the picture yeah, afterwards. Yeah, you've got, so, you've got anyway. stud bats and, and probably at least one stud closer if you're enacting that plan. I, I agree, and 
that that's why I'm so interested to see kind of how it plays out because I, I, I liked your grouping though, the, you know, cause you mentioned you have concerns about somebody like an Iwakuma and he's right there with a Tanaka who has concerns, Cliff Lee, Garrett Richards, obviously. So you, you did your groupings nicely with regard to, uh, you can't always do it. You know, you can't just bump up some, some injury concern who would normally rank 80th to bump it, to match him with everybody. But the, those four guys happen to be high quality potential but a big looming injury question hanging over their head. All right, the last guy that we're yeah. going to talk about here uh, on the ones that you liked more, maybe we'll do next episode on Thursday, guys that you were against more. And Iwakuma was one of them, but we can find three more. But the last guy that I, I, I wanted to talk about that you really liked was Andrew Heaney. And uh, you had him jumped up 41 ranks uh, higher than, than the consensus that we did here. And if I could type properly, I'd be able to find it but I can't type properly. There he is. He's at 90, and the group had him at 131. Now, this is a guy who got traded twice in about five minutes to both L.A. teams, so he never really was a Dodger. Landed with the Angels from the Marlins. Going to have a great shot at that fifth starters role. I mean, he's penciled in right now, and and uh, you know he's fending off guys like Corey Rasmus, and, and I guess Garrett Richards, if Garrett Richards sped back and, and was healthy, um, at that point, I think Heaney would be would be battling Hector Santiago, because obviously Richards would slot in, and then Santiago and Heaney would fight each other. So he has a good shot at a job, wasn't great in his stint last year, but a very acclaimed prospect who I like as well. Talk to me about, about this um, 24-year-old lefty. I think it's it's mostly indicative of my preference in the sort of 90 to 100 range for upside over floor. And it may change a little bit if I'm in a super deep league, but even in a, in a deep league, I'd rather take a shot on some of these guys. I mean, I did push Tim Hudson and Justin Masterson and Dan Heron down pretty low. Maybe I shouldn't have pushed them down so low. They're, you know, that's that's the sort of difference between Haney being you know, at 130 and Haney being at 90 is is a lot of me pushing down the, the veterans and, and pushing up some of the younger guys that I like. Because you see Haney next to Elias, Carlos Martinez, um, you know, Kyle Hendricks, Disclafani. These are young guys that I like that I think have a lot of upside that have way more upside than the veterans. But they also have more downside, sure. and I, I'm willing to admit that. And, you know, this is, I think, a, a point of order that – that I might lose, you know, if, if we were going to play this out in public and in the public uh, court. Uh, but I, but I, I wanted to push those guys up also as a service to, to the readers to be like, Hey, I like these guys a lot and you can defend, you know, checking a shot on them here. I don't like them so much that you got to push them way, way up high, but you know, here are these guys that, that stand out to me. What I like about Haney is world-class breaking ball, average velocity, good command, and the changeup has the right shape. You know, has the right shape and the right velocity difference to be an effective changeup. So I think he's got all the pieces he needs. I know that you know moving to the American League was not the best thing in the world for him, but moving to the American League and that park, I think you know helps smooth some of that stuff out. And so I'm willing. I I, I have no confidence whatsoever in um, Hector Santiago, <laughs> and you know I I love the fact that he throws a screwball. And I love just watching it, but it also it hangs about eighty percent of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th and there's 
He's not a good pitch. I, I understand the lack of confidence in him. He can have a good run every <laughs> once in a while, and he, he even did it last year because I think he wound up with a decent enough ERA. But he's just not consistent enough to be a reliable option. Um, so even, like I said, even if Richards does speed back, doesn't necessarily mean that Heaney's going to be left out. So we, we, we could definitely see him there. I, I like what you're saying with regard to pushing the guys up. You know, they come in at the expense of a guy like an R.A. Dickey who you bump down, and I get it. You know, you, you want to bet on the upside there because you can find some sort of Dickey-level player probably on the wire in, you know, a standard league, a 12-team mixer. So take a shot on a Heaney with your last pitcher because there's going to be somebody on the wire in case he totally flops. That that That's where I'm with it on 12-team mixers especially. Yeah, and even if it's 15, I think I still hang with yep. that, that because we're talking about hundreds of pitchers, so, you know, it's a little bit deep for, for 12-teamers. But even at 15-teamers, I'm still sticking with, I like, I'd much rather, this is round where you're taking your last pitcher in a 15-team. In a and I'd rather end with, you know, Andrew Haney or Rorinus Elias or Disclafani or Ruby De La Rosa, Ruby, sorry, um, than I would rather than ending with, um, you know, Tim Hudson. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah, these these rankings, that's where these rankings might change a little bit uh, when it comes to the deeper sure. league. Sure, yeah. So uh, their league, league formats are, are specific and they will change things. But uh, no, I, I like the general method that you're talking about here. Let's dive into our final set of team previews. It is the NL Central, and we will begin with the Cubs. Obviously, they're getting a lot of love this offseason. They went out and made some big moves. Uh, you know, they've got the baby Cubs all coming up, which I guess is a w bit of a redundant phrase because aren't Cubs already babies? Uh, they're they're super babies at that point. <laughs> anyway, that's really not important. But, uh, you know, they, they, a lot of intrigue for that ball club. And so I, I got to ask right, you, uh, who's your favorite hitter? Who's my favorite hitter? I mean, I I am in love with Anthony Rizzo. Do you like him as a first late first rounder, the way he's kind of been going every once in a while? Like uh, like Todd Zola took him in the FSTA draft with Laura Michaels. I think they popped him at seven. Can you get on board with him as a late first rounder? With this group at, in general. But, you know, as much as – as sometimes the prospect counts can be, because I don't think that Javier Baez is going to work out. I think Chris Bryant has a chance of not even working out at all because of the, he's he's got a pretty long swing, and there's some things I don't like about his swing, and I feel like the strikeout rate isn't is a question. So there's I think there's a lot of questions about a lot of these young guys. Even Addison Russell, I'm not sure he's going to be a fantasy stud. I think he'll be a, a good player, but I don't think he's, he's not necessarily you know going to be a fantasy stud. So the two that I you wouldn't want to make you wouldn't want you to make me choose from between is Anthony Rizzo and Jorge Soler. I just I love both of them. Too I, much. And yeah, I'll expound a bit on Soler because that, that was a guy I was going to pick. I, I really like him and it, they're kind of varying from draft to draft with regards to where the baby Cubs go. But I was in a draft where Baez and Bryant went ahead of Soler and I was just thinking, wow, thanks, guys. I'll go ahead and take Soler, I guess, if you if y'all really don't want him. Um, I think he's got a chance to have a massive season, really starting to to warm up on him. 35th outfielder off the board right now uh, in NFBC drafts. I'll, I'll take that all day. I think that's a perfectly fair price for what he can offer. I think he's ready for a big season. But I'll also throw uh, – 
throw a little bit in for Arismondi Alcantara. We already spoke about him a bit. I think the Ben Zobrist thing is apt. I think it gets people maybe a little bit too excited about what he can do right off the bat because I don't think he's going to automatically just go be Ben Zobrist. But in terms, he doesn't have patience. Exactly. You know, he's missing a lot of the parts. The the only the, the the that comp is really just. A utility player that that and, and the fact that Joe Madden is there that's the only reason that Zobris gets thrown around they do not have the same profile so anyone thinking that should back that off but what I do like is that he looks like he's going to play around the field a lot and he has power speed mix you know he, he did 10 homers last yeah. year and eight stone bases and 300 plate appearances obviously you know that that can work. He, that means 2020 over a full season if he were able to keep doing that. I'm not saying that's what he's going to go do because I'm not even sure he's going to get a full season. But I like a guy like this late, especially as your middle infielder because he does have the second base qualification. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing down for a couple of, of young Cubs that I like this year. You know, Coughlin's, Coughlin, you know, if Bryant doesn't end up in the outfield or if he ends up in the middle in the minors or if he ends up at third, you know, Coughlin's only projected for a 319 on base percentage. So he's not, you know, he's not above and beyond uh, clearly better than Alcantara in that way. So there's left field that's open for him. Fowler's defense has been falling off. So center, I think, you know, we've talked about daylight. I think, you know, there's enough there for Alcantara to be useful all over the, you know, there's enough for him to get 500 plate appearances. Exactly. But. Plus, he's a, he's a switch hitter too. So if he doesn't, you know, I don't think he necessarily has a strong platoon one way or the other. He did in the majors during those 300 plate appearances, but for his career, I don't believe that he's necessarily deficient uh, on one side. And so that will help him get playing time as well. So I think that's a guy that, you know, he's, he's going to get some at bats. Uh, they're going to get him in the lineup as much as he can. If he keeps playing, then he's going to start squeezing out guys like Co- uh, Coglin and, you know, maybe La Stella and again, even, Baez possibly so there, there's plenty of daylight there uh Pitt- the, the, I just wanted to gush about Soler real quick again um he did all he had that isolated slugging percentage last year 281 and and the the power that he had in the minors he did that with a 50 percent ground ball rate and you know he's 22 years old and when you look at Kylie's grades for him he's got the 65 power for raw power and then he's got the 55 for game power. And I think the difference between those is is growth and, and age. And also the fact that as you are in the league longer, you hit fewer ground balls. So as he, you know, pushes a few of those grounders to fly balls, he's just going to hit more homers. And his minor league career suggests he's going to have way more walks. So there's just, there's all this growth that can counteract. Yes, there's a little bit of Babbitt luck maybe there. And there's a little bit of risk with the 12% swing strike rate, but it's it's not a real big swing strike rate. It was his first 97 major league plate appearances. His minor league strikeout rates weren't that high, so I I think, um, yeah, Solaire is way to go. And then Rizzo on the auction auction cal- I mean, sorry, auction calculator. The uh, is a first, uh, not maybe a first rounder because the pitchers aren't in there, but he's a uh, top three six. He's a top ten hitter. Oof. And uh, I think it's mostly about the fact that it's a rare combo right now um, of guys that uh, have power and make contact. I mean, he's he's got an average swing strike rate that supports a, a better than average strikeout rate, and yet he has all this power. So I, I think that's the the kind of player that can hit 335 homers and 100 RBI and you know 100 runs, 110 RBI. You know, as long as the 
the the team gets better around exactly and 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 if they do at least take a step forward if not the 10 steps that the sporting news has them taking and going to the world series mm-hmm. even if they just take a step forward it's going to be beneficial to rizzo's counting stats so i think uh, i think he has a chance to kind of earn that back end first round uh level that that he's really being uh positioned as by certain folks let's talk pitching on this club they do have some intriguing arms we talked a little bit about john lester as kind of that that back end ace um who do you like best on this club because they got three guys that are going to be drafted in just about every league and then two guys who might not be drafted in in very many leagues although cal Hendricks has some has some love but travis wood is unlikely to be picked up too often who do you like best out of their rotation at their current price You know, I mean, there's 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 one stud, and then, you know, it's kind of uh, I I'm not sure that I'm ready to anoint Arietta stud, and I'm I'm just thinking about all the the injuries that he's had over his career, the shoulder, multiple shoulder injuries, including last year, um, at least multiple times on the DL for shoulder, and then and then there's really a flotsam and jetsam group that I'm not that in love with. I do, I think Kyle Hendricks belongs in that sort of Haney-esque. Uh, spot where I would be able to, I'd be willing to take him as a final pitcher in a lot of leagues because I think he, I like the fact that he has two changeups. Um, it's kind of a, an interesting wrinkle. And then if he can just make his breaking ball just a little bit better, he's a lot of command, and I think he can overcome some um, some bad velocity. You know, not bad velocity, but you know, just not great. Velocity. Yeah, yeah, underwhelming velocity. So I think he could, uh, he could you know, find a way to be a little bit more than the sum of his package. Like, I, I understand why he's projected into a league average FIP, but I don't think I would give him a league average ERA. I, yeah, I, I can understand that. I mean, the, there was some interesting stuff with him last year. For me, I like Hamill. Um, I love that he went back right back to Chicago. I think he wanted to be there from the moment he was traded. He was ready to go right back. And it kind of showed, you know, he, he struggled with Oakland to start. And maybe he was just bummed out about get, getting dealt. You know, these guys are humans, and that that's a big change. And maybe he was comfortable with pitching coach Chris Basio. So I think he kind of gets back on track to the – maybe not exactly the guy we saw, you know, sub-3 ERA, uh, 102 whip with a 24% strikeout rate. Maybe not exactly that, but I think a semblance of that, maybe like a 325, 330 kind of uh, ERA sort of guy, uh, missing some decent bats maybe 22% strikeout rate. Very useful. I think he's going to get right back on track with them. This is a guy I've liked back to his uh, Devil Rays days, and he was with them back when they were with the Devil Rays. Always had intrigue, then got stuck in Colorado, um, started to break out with the Orioles, but injuries cropped up, and then had the big breakout last year. So I'm buying into him. I know he's 32, so he's not some young guy on the rise. I just think that he's he's gonna he's gonna be somebody that you can invest back in. He's he's an interesting cat because I think he's one of he's one of the parts of the arguments that you don't really need to change up sometimes, especially if you're a right-hander, because he's his breakout has really come with the with the dropping of the changeup and and you know becoming this guy who will throw. You know, at any given moment, you'll either get a, a fastball or a slider from Hamill, um, and then maybe a curve against lefties. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think it was probably a good idea for him. The change doesn't look like a good pitch for him, and I don't know if it's if it's something that's just working better now in this era of 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 
depressed offense and a little bit less power or or if it works maybe for pitchers when they have good command and you can see that Hamels doesn't always have great command that's true and so if he, if he came out with a bad command year would it work I mean you think about Masterson fastball slider this all, all these years he's good when he has good command so you know just you know you, you have to think about Hamill you know health issues and uh, you know you can't project him into too many innings and then you have to think about Homer issues due to that due to that platoon. It's not the greatest platoon uh, busting arsenal, but otherwise, with all those caveats, there's a there's a lot of drafts where he'll be available in the final. That's round. the thing. No, nobody's nobody's really jumping on what he did last year. You know, there there isn't a huge uh, price increase, even though he had a really good year. Because I think a lot of folks remember what happened right when he arrived in Oakland. Because he even closed just fine uh, once he smoothed out with Oakland. So I, I like Jason Hamill. A uh, couple questions about this team. What do you think, if anything, uh, does Miguel Montero have left in the tank? I don't think he's just a a group in the group of sort of, you know, mixed league relevant guys, you know, a guy can hit 250, 260 with 12 to 15 homers. I, you know, I don't, I don't think that he's going to go back to hitting 280, 290 like he did, um, you know, just 31. I mean, there, there could be a little bit of bounce back, but I just don't think he's going to get back to where he was in, you know, his mid twenties. So, um, I think he's a, you know, he's a, he's a decent guy. If other guys aren't think aren't remembering 286 and 282 and 18 homers in those years, I don't think those are coming back. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody's really asking for that. Uh, you know, with the with the kind of price that's being paid for him, he's he's the 17th or 15th catcher off the board, so you can still get him pretty cheaply. Uh, OBP league, you can bounce him up a little bit. He's he's now had a consistently strong walk rate now throughout his career and double digits each of the last three seasons. So I think Montero still has a little bit something left in the tank there. I think we kind of already answered this, but your favorite baby cub investment is Soler out of out of him, Bryant, Baez, and Alcantara. Do I understand that properly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think we're yeah. I think we're in lockstep there. And, and then with regards to Ariad, I know you mentioned that you're not ready to necessarily anoint him because of the injury concerns, but let's let's alleviate that for a minute or at least just uh, put it off to the side. Apart from the injury concern, which obviously plays a big role, but just based on skill, how much of the skill improvement are you buying from last year? Because we saw him be – he was dominant. You know, he's taken a no-hitter into like the seventh inning, it seemed like, every other uh, start, 27% strikeout rate, uh, uh, sub-one whip, and a two-and-a-half ERA. So things were great when, when he was pitching, but obviously still only had 157 innings, uh, which is a career high, so you can't really put him down for 200 this year, which, again, makes it tough to treat him like an ace. But just with purely on the skill, how much are you buying? I buy him just as much as Colin McHugh, maybe a little bit less once you start talking about the injury, but th- him and Colin McHugh both decided, hey, I'm going to throw more breaking balls than fastballs. And uh, let's see what they do with that. And I think that just intrinsically, that means that your swing strike rate is going to go up, your strikeout rate is going to go up. It means that hitters going to have a hard time with you because everything's bending. And I think traditionally people haven't done that because they've been worried worried about injury risk. Mm-hmm. So that's that's I can't I can't not say a sentence about him that doesn't no, it, it, bring it has back to be included to in there I, I know that I'm, I'm i'm trying to do the impossible by saying elite, no pull that I, out. i'm saying on just on 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 what he did you know i do believe in yeah him. yeah i believe 
you know, that has a swing strike rate to support it, has the mix change to support it. You know, maybe the home runs per nine uh, is something that you have to regress. I mean, he only gave it a third, uh, a third of a homer per nine last year, and I had a 4.5% home runs per fly ball. That's, I don't think, you know, he's going to have some days in Wrigley where the wind's going to blow blow out. So, I mean, that's, that's, and for what it's worth, it looks like, the steamer buys into it too because they're they're I think they're pretty much regressing his they're keeping that nice strikeout rate pretty high. Yeah. And they're regressing mostly his his home run rate and a little bit of his his walk rate because he didn't always have great walk rates. So I mean maybe you want to give them credit for cleaning up his mechanics. Maybe you want to take the under on his walk rate. But I think that home run rate is about right. And so I think he's in that class of sort of mid threes ERA. 1.2 sort of whip, but nice strike. Definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm with you there. Let's talk about some Cincinnati uh, Cincinnati Reds. We already mentioned them a little bit earlier with regards to what Matt Latos was saying, but let's talk a little bit more positively here. And uh, give me a favorite hitter on, the, on that crew. Well, Votto's really, you know, dropping in, 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 uh, in drafts. And I'm not sure. I think that maybe it's gone too far. I, I, I would um, I would actually say definitively that it has. Now I wouldn't even couch it. I would say that it definitely has. Well, I'm trying to I'm calling up the uh, NF, NFBC ADP. Program. While you're doing that, marinate on this over under because it's going to be one of the questions or 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 uh, w- which is a higher total, Billy Hamilton stolen bases or Joey Votto RBIs? <laughs> which which would you take to be higher? I'm going to take Joey Votto's RBI. I mean, I mean they're they're linked. They're linked a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's 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 definitely true. Uh, you know, he he's uh, he's he's going as low as 104. That's nuts to me. And but the average is 77. Now, let's see the auction calculator uh, for a two catcher batting average league um, says that Votto is. A thirteen dollar player, and that probably is actually about right with where he's been drafted. But um, that doesn't go along so well with the fact that I just think that he's a better player than that. I mean, I think that um, I think that a healthy year will will change the calculus of his future projections. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's hard to know, and you know. It's really just hard to know how much of the last thing was the knee or the quad or whatever. And, you know, I, I tried to talk to him last year and at one point and he said, I, I can't talk to you. I'm hurt. You know, I don't you know, you're going to ask me about if I've changed this or that. And I'm going to it's all I'm just hurt. You know, Man. I don't even know if that was necessarily on the record yet. So but, you know, it's all everyone knows he's he was hurt now. <laughs> well, and he came um, out, you know, uh and had some strong words to refute what, what Latos was saying. So I think he's, I think he's maybe going to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder this year. Cause he's kind of tired of hearing all the trash and I don't blame him because you would think that this guy wasn't an amazing player with the way he's spoken about, but, and yet, you know, um, even last year, a da- uh, admittedly down year, you know, he didn't play, he played 162 games, didn't do all that well. And he still had 128 WRC plus, you know, prior to that, this guy's living in the 150 to 175 range. I mean, he is, he's a stud, he's elite. And, and he doesn't, he doesn't need to have a hundred RBI and he doesn't need to hit 30 home runs to be a fancy stud. Look at, 
In 2013, he had 24 homers and a 300 batting average. He had 100 runs. That's, that's awesome. And, yeah. and everyone freaks out about 73 RBIs. And it's like, that's so, it's so dumb to say that, you know, he needs to start swinging at worse pitches or, or, or change his approach to try to drive in a guy. If he doesn't see it, he doesn't see it. If, 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 it's, if it's not the fit, I don't think he needs to be going to try to purposely swing at pitches that may or may not actually work for him to drive in the run in the first place. Uh-oh, auto, autoplay. I know. Where is it? I love it. Good. Oh, okay? NFBC. Oh, they're coming hard with the autoplay NFBC. Come on. Uh, Come on, NFBC. Uh, but but I was trying to get what I was just trying to get up, and now it's gone. But uh, he, in at the end of 2013, he was the uh, the sixth ranked first baseman at the end of the at the end. See, of the that's season. awesome. So if you don't, I mean, if if you don't have to pay like he's your top uh, top six uh, option at first base, and I don't think any of our rankings have had have had him there, then. And then I think that you're gonna you're gonna find that he's a that he's a value. Yeah, I think I think he's a great value this year. I will definitely be investing. Um, you know, goes without saying, OBP leagues he goes back through the roof, and and people will be on him. But if you're just talking about standard leagues, that price is is there for you to buy and get and get a good discount. So I would definitely take it. Uh, for me, I'm. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I think Hamilton can go super high. We've talked a lot about Frazier. Don't really need to get into him. We both said we're kind of back on Bruce. I I, I still kind of like Marlon Bird for nothing. He doesn't cost a thing. And I know he's old, and so he can fall off the table instantly. You know, you usually don't get forewarning with 37-year-olds. It usually is just gone uh, on a given day. And and he, and he even <laughs> backslid from, from his big 2013 last year. Uh, he still hit 25 homers. But the WRC plus slid back substantially, so I get that. But you're talking about 20 homers for nothing. I mean, he's just he just doesn't cost anything. This is a guy you can get so late. He's going to another quality park from uh, for which he can hit a bunch of homers and just keep selling out for power. So as a 233rd pick, I, I'm I'm interested. And honestly. Boy, I I, st- I haven't seen that. I haven't seen him going even that high. I know. So this is just the uh, obviously the uh, average draft position. I haven't seen him going at that level. I've seen him going much later, and I will definitely I would take him at this level, but I'll take him at what the level I've been seeing too, which is around the 70th outfielder off the board, uh, where currently he's at the 56. So Marlon Bird, it's not flashy, it's not sexy, and and it could bust out for you. But at least if you bust out an outfielder. You have a good chance of finding one on the on the uh, waiver wire. You know, it is funny with these things. ADP. <clears throat> you know, I, I I'm in a lot of keeper leagues, and so I, right now I've been thinking about keeper leagues because it hasn't been draft season for my redraft yet. So I'm doing a lot of trading. You know, going into drafts, and Jay Bruce has been available to me at, at a song in almost any of my leagues. I, if I want Jay Bruce, I can have him. And I, so I would have thought that uh, that would make him. Um, a, a good a good value in, in in drafts this year, but you know I go over to NFBC and I look at Jay Bruce and his average is 94, um, and he's going a, ahead of Matt Holiday yeah. and uh, Resnick Castillo and Alex. I mean Alex Gordon is hurt, and but Mookie again, Betts, you know, he's going everyone's favorite Mookie he's Betts. Going, he's going ahead of. So yeah, the NFBCers are going, not putting out a discount. They're putting he's going 30 picks against again ahead of Jorge Soler, and if Jay Bruce is on the board and Jorge Soler was on the board. I think I might take a Solaire over Bruce. So, you know, that I think 
and I would definitely wait another round and then take Solaire. So, you know, it is funny to sort of check your how you feel about a guy with what's actually going out on out out there. I can tell you right now that I think Jay Bruce is a bounce back candidate and I like him, but I don't necessarily think he's the 27th best best outfielder because even a bounce back might have a 240 batting average associated with it. And if it's only 240, 25 then you're going to get more out of Jorge Soler. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Like I said, we, we both have spoken about that we like Bruce. We think he's going to bounce back. But if the price is really just kind of at at cost or maybe just a little bit down from last year, I don't know if I'm if I'm dying to get in there just yet. So we'll see how that smooths out kind of as the season uh, or, or as the spring training progresses. Obviously, if he goes out and, and looks sharp, fair or not, it, it, it's going to bump the price up because – we tell people, we will constantly tell people not to overreact to spring training stats, yet it will still happen. So if he goes out and pops six <laughs> homers in uh, Goodyear, I believe is where they play, then you know he's going to jump right up that board, and then he's all of a sudden going to be like a top 20 outfielder. I, I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised because this was a guy who was bankable for 30 um, you know, prior to last year. So we'll, it'll be interesting to kind of monitor his cost there. Um, you, we talked about the Hamilton stolen bases versus Votto RBIs. I would take the Votto RBIs too, but I, I think it could actually be pretty close because if Hamilton has a great year and, 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 you know, does 70, 70, 75 steals, well, we saw Votto had a huge year in 2013 and only had 73 RBIs. So like you said, they are interrelated, but it could be pretty close. Uh, I want to ask you about Devin Mezzarocco. Can he pop another 25 homers? I mean, last year he needed a 21% homer to fly ball ratio, but he also did it in only 114 games. So even if you backslide the homer to fly ball ratio, there's a chance that he could add some games if he can finally stay healthy. Although that has been a trick for him. I mean, he's not been good about staying on the field. But how do you feel about him? He had that huge breakout, and and the tax is definitely there this year. He's been bumped up the catcher rankings for sure. He's third catcher off the board right now, 81st pick. How do you feel about Devin Mezzarocco at age 27 this year? I think that he'll he in a lot of leagues he'll be over over cost because I the batting average is going to come down. I think. And, but I think that I, from what I've seen in some saber circles, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of slavishness to, to steamer and I, and I think steamer's great. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about steamer as a projection system, but I, I do think that breakouts, you know, often push it a little bit further than, you know, it, it's always going to regress backwards. Mm-hmm. And I think there's enough evidence from what Brian Price was saying about how he's going to play Mazzarocco every day or not every day, but he wants to play him like 120 games, 130 games, something, you know, I think there's enough evidence there that they could push him to the point where even his rate stats go down and his counting stats go up. I mean, that's sort of what you're exactly. talking about. So, so I, I think that I'm not sure he's going to hit 25, but I think I'm going to take the over on the steamer, you know, uh, home runs. I'm going to take the over on the steamer, um, playing time, and if you take the over on the steamer playing time, you're taking the over on the runs in RBI, and you know I would take the fans playing time, and you know take a maybe a homer or two off of it, and I'd be pretty happy with that. So if you can you can switch projections in your system, 
you you stick that fans projection in there, you start seeing something that's worth that ADP. So yeah, for, for those that don't have it handy or don't want to look it up, it's 563 plate appearances from the fans and 24 homers. Eno saying back that off to about 22, and then you still got a stud player for Devin Mezzarocco. And and kind of the more I look at it, I know right now they're I, I think they're projected to be the bottom feeder in that division, but I don't think this Reds lineup is really all that bad. Even even a guy you know I know Brandon Phillips really kind of declining, but as the sixth hitter now instead of the four hitter, I can live with that. And I already mentioned Marlon Byrd, whom I like, Jay Bruce, Miserocco, Votto, Frazier, I'm going up from the bottom, obviously, and then Hamilton at top. Even Zach Cozart as an eight hitter is not garbage. So if this lineup stays healthy this year, I think it could be pretty pretty strong. And then the pitching at least is is led out front nicely by Cueto, Bailey, and even Mike Leake is a decent three. And then two guys at the back end that I believe you like both of them, Tony Singrani and Anthony Desclafani. I'll ask you, though, who's your favorite hitter uh, – or excuse me, who's your favorite pitcher at their current cost? And the only reason you can't say Desclafani is because I think we've exhausted our talk about him. Ah, I know. I'm, I, I got I to restrict <laughs> you. I got to get a new name out there for folks to get your thoughts on. Well, I have bought uh, I bought Cueto in the mock as my as my ace, and I bought him in the fifth round. So, um, you know, I could have I, I could have maybe waited a little bit longer, but you know, in these expert mocks and the expert drafts, the the people you know the the, the aces are going earlier. So for me, waiting to the fifth round is almost like you know three four years ago waiting to the sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth Absolutely. round. Absolutely. You know, I, I still feel like I'm waiting a lot longer. But Cueto, to me, was one of those last was one of those guys in a 12 teamer. He's one of the last aces I want. He's one of the top 15, and and so Cueto will end up being on some of my you know shallower mixed teams. Uh, I also think Homer Bailey. I was a little bit more on Homer Bailey than other people, and I just want to take a second to say why. I know that there was the injury issue, but what I really liked was that there was not much drop in his stuff. Um, despite the injury. And if you look at just the rates <clears throat> on his different pitches, they, they, they stayed, they stayed up. His velocity stayed up, which was huge. Cause you know, when he was 92, 93, it was one story. And then when he got up, bumped it up past 94, it was another story. So, you know, Homer Bailey kept his 94 mile an hour velocity. He kept his double digit swing and strike rate. He kept all his pitches. He kept his ground ball rate. I mean, he kept everything except for, you know, a couple of homers here and his health. So I I think he's actually probably somewhere between his 2013 when he was 349 ERA 112 whip and uh, Bailey's 2014 when he was 371 ERA 123 whip. I think he's in between those two. Um, and the projections, uh, you know, mostly agree, but I think he could even, you know, be closer to the fans in that situation again too. So I think he's right there in a sort of Arietta-esque. I think he, I think he's very comparable to Arietta. I mean, we're talking about a three-five ERA, one-two WHIP, injury risk, and you know a strike, you know eight strikeouts per. But night. with the upside that he's actually done two two hundred inning seasons as well. Right. So, you know, you can actually project that if you think he's going to be healthy. Health is the only concern I have for Bailey. I love Homer Bailey. I, I, I was big on him last year and obviously it didn't pan out all that well because he got hurt and only threw 146 innings, but I'm a big, big fan of this guy. So I'm really hoping that he's healthy. Uh, though admittedly, I'm, a, I'm, I'm nervous about this particular injury. Uh, the splitter that he had, was devastating last year. I wrote about it on Fangraphs, and it was just—it it was a huge tool for him. So I just, 
I'm still going out there and buying with the discount because the discount's sharp enough that even with the injury risk, I'm comfortable with it. But there's definitely some mm -hmm. fear for Homer Bailey. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm going to go the bullpen route, and I'm actually going to talk about Aroldis Chapman. I think everyone understands how great he is, but I, I want to advocate, you know, kind of drafting the closer early. Um, I, you hear often, don't pay for saves. I don't. I, I don't think that that's necessarily the the right way or, or the only way. I think you can go either way. You can either not pay for them and, and go that route if you want, but paying for them is not wrong. And I think when I hear "don't pay for saves," a lot of time it's it's pushed by because it's wrong. And and no, it's not. It, it's a different strategy, and that's fine if you want to troll for saves. But they're not just readily available for you only to pick up on the waiver wire. Everyone else is going to go for them too. So I like to have some of the ace closers because they don't, they don't just help with saves. They're, they're not just one category. That's another thing. Oh, you don't pay for saves because it's just one category. Not these guys, not these guys today uh, that, that are dropping a hundred strikeouts and, and amazing ratios that, that can really move the needle. Even in 65, 70 innings, they can move the needle with their sub two ERAs at times and their killer whips, but the strikeouts and the saves are, are really the big factors there. And so I like going out and getting one of the super studs. I think Chapman's the number one guy for me over Kimbrel. Um, so I'm going to go out there and, and, and look to get him in the fourth, fifth round area. I'm completely fine with it because there is such a glut of, of similar talent with the hitters and pitchers in that area that I don't feel like I'm necessarily missing out if I take a Chapman, especially if it's compared to a starting pitcher, as we've already talked about. When you're in that fourth round, there's so many guys that we like. I can wait on one get a Chapman and still get somebody that I love uh, two, three rounds later as a starting pitcher. So I, I want Chapman in as many leagues as I can get him this year. Yeah. There's a few, there's a few things that I think about when, when this comes up, one thing is it's, it's different to pay for saves quote unquote when it's Chapman or when it's like Houston street, you know, sure. it's like one guy is 26 and, and in the prime and, and, you know, is not going to lose the role due to performance. You know? and, and if and if you're uh, not if, if if you say don't pay for saves because you don't want to invest in in potentially frail guys like like Street and and not only frail because he gets hurt a lot he hasn't pitched over 60 innings in what the last five years but also because he has a frail hold on the job because of that injury he could definitely lose it I get that. But I think that there's such a thick tier now of studs that I'm willing to pay for saves. I think it goes about seven, eight deep of guys that I'm willing to kind of you know go up there and get because of the strikeout and ratio potential that they offer. You know, and there's another thing. I had a long argument about this when I, when I used to write for Roto World, that, you know, uh, relatively your starting pitchers move the needle more uh, just because of quantity. I, and I was like, when I was arguing with these people, I was like, I understand quantity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but let me rephrase this quantity question to you in another way. Given a limited amount of innings, and then they would say, oh, well, my, my league doesn't have innings limits. And I would say, well, then you're in the 5% of people that don't have innings limits. I mean, there's not a lot of people who don't have innings limits. And then even if you you don't have innings limits, you do want to compete in saves, which means that you're going to have two or three or four slots in your lineup that are that are attributed to saves, which means that you are going to be limiting your innings in those four lineups. I mean, you, otherwise you could just throw starting pitchers in those, in those situations. Right. So there is a, a decision you make with a lineup slot where you're like, okay, 
I'm going to make this lineup slot a reliever. And once you do that, you're pitting all your lineup slots that are relievers against other people's lineup slots that are relievers. You're not necessarily pitting your lineup slots that are relievers against other people's pitcher slots. Yeah, that, that, that's a great you know? point. So it's, so it's not like it's not like my 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 like two you know relievers are going against against yours two starters. You know that even if you picked them in the same place, they went into different lineup exactly. slots. And I understand that sometimes you have unattributed pitcher slots and you have nine and you can choose whatever you want to do. But in general, people gravitate towards three or four reliever slots. Out of At the, the very least, they're doing seven and two. So you're still comparing two reliever slots against, you know, everyone else's first two or something. I mean, no, very right. few guys go nine zero. Right. So then, so then let's, so then we can like, let's get the, all those starters go and let's look at these three slots versus these three slots. If I have good pitchers in my three slots and you have bad pitchers in your three slots, that's going to make a difference no matter mm -hmm. what, you know, and you can say, oh, it's not going to make a big difference. But in those three slots, the most I can get out of that is Aroldis Chapman strikeouts. And the least I can get out of that is Jim Johnson, uh, uh, Zach Britton now. Troy Hawkins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Troy Hawkins. Man, we crush LaTroy Hawkins on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we destroy that fool. So, so you know, if I have LaTroy Hawkins three times and you have a role as Chapman three times, it's I know it's ridiculous and not even possible, but you are going to trounce me in mm -hmm. strikeouts. And it would, almost doesn't even matter if I spent the entire rest of the time, at, I, you know, buying starting pitchers with good straight strikeout rates. And what's the difference between the best, you know, starting pitcher strikeout rates and the and the middle tier starting pitcher strikeout rates. Yeah, you know what I mean? Not not 15 percentage points. You know, maybe yes. more like five percentage points. 27 to 28, 29 on the high end, and then maybe you know maybe closer to five, six, seven percentage points. But yeah, I, I hear exactly what you're saying there. And and then in addition to that. I, again, I'll, I'll beat the hammer on this. They just keep saying, well, I can get saves off the wire. Maybe. That's a maybe. I, I, I hate when it's said as a definitive. And how many strikeouts are going to come Exactly. How often is it going to be one of those strikeout studs? No, it's probably going to be another Hawkins-esque guy or kind of a mid middling guy who, who rises up and, and, and gets the job. Because if he was that good to begin with, they'd have already had him in the role. And, and how much FAB are you going to spend it's, on it? That's how the many, opportunity cost. How many bench slots are you going to spend on it? How much? How much just time and energy are you going to spend? And that's spend why I, that's on? the problem I have with the with the word free. You know, I'm gonna get the free saves. They're not free at all. They're costing you your time to to go out and troll for them. Uh, the the roster slots, the fabs, so then you can't go out and get the next JD Martinez or you know if you're in a real shallow league, the next Michael Brantley. I bet there were ten team leagues where he wasn't even drafted last year. Um, so you know mm -hmm. you can't go out and go get those other guys because you got to spend all your resources on saves. So. I think it's fine to pay for saves at that upper end. I really do. And, and Chapman, Batances, um, Kimbrell, Holland, Jansen when he's healthy, Robertson, Melanson, and Cody Allen, I think, are two that are joining that upper crust. So I, I think there's a lot of guys that you can go out and get. Don't be afraid to pay for saves. If you want to take the other route, that's fine. But make sure that your starting pitching and your offense are amazing then. Because too, too, too often I'll get a roster from somebody that says, how did I do on this draft? I punted saves because I'm just going to pick them up in season. And the roster still kind of sucks. I'm like, your offense should be way better you know, if you were going to punt that money that you were going to spend on a Chapman and put it in the offense, and it's not that good. Or your starters are not that good. So at least if you're going to do it, you better make sure the rest of your team is dope. Mm. All right. Uh, last yeah. question with this club. And actually, the, the, 
last question of the podcast. We'll wrap it up here. Does Tony Singrani have a rebound in him? And maybe not back to the sub three guy that he was uh, with his one pitch, but can he go back to, to fantasy viability and, and just put up a three, a three five with, with a strikeout per inning um, and probably too many walks, but, uh, but you know, can, can he be fantasy viable again? You know, it's so weird. I asked him about his secondary pitches, and he was, and he said, "Oh yeah, my change better is better than my slider." And Wait, I was what? Just like, dude, I mean, I mean, is somebody showing you results, <laughs> or like, do, you, like, what are you talking about? Because in terms of like movement, velocity gap, gap results. He went to Rice too. He's bad. supposed to be smart. It's a real bad pitch. I mean, he got four percent whiffs. No, it's on garbage. It. Maybe. You know, he got decent ground balls. Maybe he thinks, you know, but he also gave up twice as many home runs on the pitch as he did on his fastball, and he gave up no homers on his slider. So, you know, I think he's, I think you could call him a two-pitch pitcher. The slider gets 13% whiffs. Yeah, he just the only reason I said one pitch is because he doesn't use the slider enough. He's only using it like 8% yeah, of yeah. the time. No, no, no. Definitely a one-pitch pitch, but I, I wasn't like refuting you. I'm just saying – you know, when we're talking about his outcomes in the future, I do think there's some hope in that slider. It's a it's a pretty slow slider. It's you know it's it's slurvy because it only goes 80 miles yeah. an hour. Um, but um, so that's going to make it hard for him to really separate the curve from that because if your slider goes 80 and your curve goes 76, what's the big difference? What's the real difference? Yeah, if he had a harder uh, slider with the, with dialing down the curve, that would give him another band of velocity there, which is I know something that you've spoken about. So, yeah, for for me. Yeah. I'm not holding out a lot of hope. I, I honestly think that he he might have that relief future in him, and and he could be dominant there. I, th- I think they're going to stick with him as a starter at least for the next couple of years, and I understand that. See if he can develop the slider even more, and and maybe refine the changeup into something useful. But uh, and and you know last year was a bit of a washout. You know he had. 63 innings in the majors and only uh, 31 others in the minors there. So, or no, that, nothing in the minors. So that that was that was it last year. 63 innings. So a, a bit of a washout season. I'm not judging him off of that and saying that's why it can't work. But he had home run issues even during that big uh, rookie breakout season. So I'm just nervous about this guy. I think he's got talent. He's he's a major leaguer for sure. I just don't know that he's a fantasy viable starter. Yeah, you know. When when he has a, you know, almost two homers per nine, you know that that's a function of a couple of things. The shoulder was was off last year, and then the the change is no good. So he does have to make some strides. And Steamer giving him 163 innings seems very. That's 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 as much as he's done in his career. And I doubt that they'd push him so far after having shoulder injury last year. So I think the fans have it right here again. 140 innings, basically 3.71 ERA, 130 WHIP. It's you know, nice strikeout rate, but um, those aren't in today's game where with offense down so much. Those aren't uh, those aren't necessarily even top three pitcher no. numbers, even if he does. not not at all. Uh, especially with that big whip, you know, if if you had a smaller whip, yeah. uh, you could you could hide the ERA a little bit. But he'll give you some strikeouts, but maybe nothing else, and he might actually be a net negative. So be careful with a guy like that. Uh, you know, that's going to wrap us up here. We're going to be back on Thursday. We'll talk some more news that I'm sure will trickle in from spring training. We'll talk about some pitchers that uh, you're down on compared to the to the rest of the team, and then we'll get into some more NL Central team previews. Uh, but until then, are you working on anything special that you want to give us a little uh, foreshadowing on, or, or do we just have to wait? 
Well, I, you know, I talked about the uh, the pitcher stuff, the pitch stuff. So if I can if I can get you guys an expected swing strike rate based on the movement and the and the shape and the and the velocity of your pitches, I think I think that would be pretty exciting. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, we'll be looking we'll be looking out for that. Until then, we will talk in, in two days. Then you know how that. We'll be right back.